the reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Guy Axelson. I'm part of the team here. And we are in Mark chapter 13 today. Have your Bible open. We'll use the whole chapter. And we're in this theme of the return of the king when the world is shaking. So let's pray and give this time to the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we have together in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, you would encourage us, you would correct us, you would focus us on you during this time that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's play a little game. I wonder how many films you can think of on the theme of the return of the king. And as you think of films and number them in your head, I wonder if you can get after three or four or five, uh, I'm going to continue speaking. Now, I think there are quite a few films out there on this theme of the return of the king, because in some way we expect the return of the king of kings, of Jesus, and that's deeply ingrained in our culture, which has Christian roots. And then also we instinctively feel that the world isn't being managed quite as well as it should be. Things are rather out of kilter, and it should take the return of the king, or the king of kings, to put things right. Now, I wonder how many films you thought of. Did you um, pick up The Lord of the Rings 3, The Return of the King? Was that one of yours? Or how about Robin Hood, where King Richard returns? Um, or maybe, let's go Disney, maybe you thought of The Lion King, Simba returning to Pride Rock and restoring order. Or maybe you scraped the barrel to Madagascar too with little Alakai um, returning. And if you've got some more, I'd love to hear them in our coffee time over Zoom. 
after the service and find out which ones I've missed. But there's so many out there on this theme of the return of the king. And we have this desire to see a restoration of order. And this comes so strongly when disaster strikes, either in the form of wars or natural disasters. And so in a time like this, in a time like a COVID crisis, there's this renewed desire to see the return of the king. A time when society is um, brought to a standstill, as we found initially. Uh, the halting of the hamster wheel, if you will. It's during these times we bound to ask the big questions about where this world is headed and how things are going to get wrapped up. And the Bible is far from silent on this issue. And we know that God came to earth in human form. Uh, Jesus Christ was born. And the first time that he came was as a suffering servant. And yet he's going to come again. And the second time that he'll come, he'll come as a conquering king. And so Jesus, in his final days and weeks, started preparing his disciples, his closest friends, uh, for his coming again and what life would be like in the world as the world prepared for his arrival. And we read some of these words in Mark chapter 13. In verse 26, we hear Jesus say, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. When Jesus returns, it won't be ambiguous, it'll be completely obvious. Everyone will be able to see him. And so that's what the return of the king is going to be like. But surely this idea of the return of the king raises so many more questions about how you and I should live in light of this knowledge. And so I'm going to divide the section into three um, different um, parts. And with each one, we're going to have a short story to help us to grapple with it. Firstly, we're going to look at how we shouldn't get complacent. Um, secondly, we're going to look at how we shouldn't get detached. And thirdly, how we should watch out. So here's number one, don't get complacent. I recently heard of a family conversation around the dinner table where someone asked this question of, when do you think Jesus will return? Do you think he's going to come in the next year? No one put up their hand. Do you think he's going to come in the next 10 years? Still no one. How about the next 100 years? One or two stuck up their hand. How about the next 1,000 years? So now I might pose this question to you. When do you think Jesus would return? When, when do you think you would put your hand up in, in the air? And if you're someone who thinks that Jesus is going to take a long, long, long time, to return, or maybe you haven't even considered Jesus' return, you might tend towards complacency when it comes to Jesus' return. We fall into this category. And in verse 1, in fact, we see Jesus' closest friends rather complacent. Look, teacher, 
they say. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. They're so impressed with this temple in front of them, which seems like it'll last forever. It's sturdy enough, at least, for that. And this temple is more than just a building to them. Rather, it's the focal point of their religion, the focal point of their nation, of their festivals, of their culture. It's where their families go. It's the focal point of their sacrificial system, where they become right uh, with God. And yet Jesus knows that in just a few decades' time, in 70 AD, that temple is going to be destroyed. So he says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. That's verse 2. Don't get complacent, friends of Jesus. Don't get complacent. Don't think that what is now will last forever, is his message. Jesus' friends' lives were about to change dramatically, and Jesus doesn't want them to be surprised about it. So he starts to tell them that there will be wars and rumors of wars, that nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes. There will be famines. He says to them that they'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in synagogues. He tells them that they're going to be arrested and brought to trial. And all of these and more will be the birth pains before Jesus returns again and wraps up time for good. Jesus was describing the end times that started after his ascension. And those end times are the times that we are still living in. He doesn't want them to be alarmed by these things. And that's what he tells them, them in verse 7. And he doesn't want us to be alarmed either. All these things they should expect. They should expect that life was going to get a lot tougher before his return. This last week I was having a chat with a friend from the Far East and he startled me a bit. He said he just doesn't understand why Christians in the West pray for persecuted Christians that they would escape persecution and the persecution would stop. When in fact, he said, he sees Jesus telling us to expect persecution, to not be alarmed by it, and in fact, to endure through it. And um, Jesus' comforting words in this text to his disciples weren't that they were going to escape persecution or be protected from it, but rather, he says, when they arrested and brought to trial, the Holy Spirit will tell them what to say and help them in their defense. And many of us who live uh, comfortably need to heed Jesus' warning against becoming complacent about his return. And this crisis might be the opportunity that we need to jolt us out of our comfortable complacency. If we turn comfort into an ultimate goal, we'll probably achieve it. But we might miss out on the huge amount more that Jesus would have for us. The great people who you and I admire weren't comfortably complacent. 
and people like William Wilberforce and Mother Teresa and Nelson Mandela didn't live comfortably complacent lives, but they did live fulfilling ones. Which would you prefer? And so maybe this is the message that you need to hear today. But there are going to be others of us who fall off the other side of the seesaw. And so let's look at that. There'll be some people who become complacent and others who become detached. So here's our number two. Don't get detached. In 2012, I started a study on the book of Revelation and I really got into it, uh, looking at commentaries and what people had to say about the different signs. And then I got into other prophetic writings. I became so engrossed in trying to work out how what we were going through in those times fitted in with the end times that I found that I took my eyes off the present. I was so obsessed that I started to think that it is highly probable that we wouldn't get through 2012 before Jesus returned. And that made me detached. And I think actually Jesus' closest friends might have had some sort of tendency towards this in verses three and four. We read, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? They've heard Jesus speak about the temple and the destruction of the temple, and, and, and they're his, his um, closest friends. So they want some special knowledge. They're more interested in, in what's going to happen and when it's going to happen uh, than what they should do about it. And Jesus won't answer their question. Instead, he says later in verse 32, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. So don't get detached. Don't get so focused working out how this present situation fits into the end times that you lose your focus on the present. Don't get detached. Stay, stay focused. There is work that needs to be done. In verse 10, we hear that before the end times come, that the gospel must be preached to all nations. That's what's going to happen before the end comes, before Jesus returns. We're told that all people groups around the world are going to hear this incredibly good news about Jesus and his saving grace. And Jesus' people have always been the ones who are blessed in order to be a blessing. And the blessing isn't just to them, it's just not, to those, not just to those around us, but it's a blessing to all nations, all peoples. Everyone needs to hear this message of salvation. And it is because Jesus is wanting a, a diverse throng uh, of, of, of worshippers who are going to be worshipping him and worshipping the Father through eternity. So he says, there's work to be done. 
Don't get detached. Stay focused. Continue with the great commission that he's entrusted to you. Push on with sharing him, being a blessing to all nations and sharing him with all peoples. And then finally he says, watch out. Have you ever organised a surprise birthday party, I wonder? Uh, you might have had other people helping you and it might be that you didn't know when the birthday girl was going to return. So you snuck into her house with that spare key that you got and you frantically started pulling up bunting and balloons and cards and getting the presents out on the table and the table laid and champagne ready and getting the oven on for those delicious munchies and at the same time you had a, a lookout stationed in the top window looking down the street to check when she was going to come and you wanted the house to be as impressive as it possibly could be for that surprise as she walked through the door um, and so you wanted to make the most of all the time that you had at your disposal but you just didn't know how much time you had like is there time for popping the, the champagne, is it, you know, is it time for that? Or, or um, do we need to, to just get the, the top of the bottle open and ready? We don't know how much time we have. And it's a bit like that as we prepare for Jesus' um, arrival. Uh, we want everything to be as good as it possibly can be for him, uh, for us to do as good a job as we possibly can in preparation because at any time he might fling the door open and return to us. And um, in fact, Jesus tells a very similar story at the end of this chapter about the return of the owner of a house and how his um, servants should be prepared for him to fling the door open at any time. And so as we think of the end times, we, 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 we prepare, we get ready, we are those who are ready. And Jesus tells us seven times in this chapter to either be on our guard or to watch out. Are you on your guard? Do you have your wedding clothes on, uh, your birthday clothes on, um, that you're ready for the return um, of, of the one who's going to fling the door open? And are you busy preparing the place for, for their arrival, preparing the place for Jesus' arrival. Are we ready individually and are we ready corporately fulfilling that mandate that has been given to us? So how are we going to eagerly anticipate the return of the king? Well, we neither become complacent about his return uh, or detached about his return, thinking there's no point in preparing, but rather we are on our guard we're watching out and we're doing all we possibly can to prepare for his return, both individually and together with every day that we have um, together and before he arrives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that Jesus gave us this heads up on his return. And Lord, we pray that we'd be the people who neither become complacent or detached, but those who eagerly anticipate Jesus' return, making the most of every day that we have before his coming and speed his coming 
by sharing him, sharing the good news with all nations so that he may come in glory. We pray this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.